This is Nick Redding, and you're listening to PreserveCast, a podcast with a worldwide listenership that explores the broad world of preservation from every angle, from drones to mudlarking and everything in between. Now, let's get preserving. Connecting place to story to digital resources is a challenge confronting communities across the globe. That's why when I learned about NashvilleSites.org, I knew we had a winner for PreserveCast. Not only is Nashville an amazing town, but this story holds many lessons for countless other places looking to bring their own history to life. This is Nick Redding. You're listening to PreserveCast. And today we're thrilled to be talking with two individuals uh, who are working really hard to bring Nashville's history to life. We're talking with Dr. Mary Ellen Pethel, um, who is an author, historian, archivist, um, but for our purposes is also executive director for Nashville Sites, which is what we're going to be talking about. We're also going to be talking with Jessica Reeves, who is the director of tours for Nashville Sites, and both of them um, have jobs above and beyond this work, but the passion that they've put into this is pretty exciting, and it has a lot of implications for projects like it across the country. But before we get into that, um, we love to get to know our guests, their background, upbringing, what got them interested in history and preservation. So um, why don't we start with maybe um, Jessica What's your backstory? Um, where'd you grow up? How'd you get into preservation? And, um, you know, when, when did you get so interested in history? Sure. So I grew up in a really small town in uh, rural middle, middle Tennessee, uh, Smith County, um, Carthage, Tennessee, for any uh, Al Gore fans out there. Uh, we're, we are the hometown of uh, former Vice President Al Gore, our, our one big claim to fame. Um, you know, I, I liked history growing up. I liked old things, I think, more than really history as a subject. I liked writing a lot. Um, but I I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I went off to college. It wasn't, I don't have a degree in history, uh, an undergraduate degree. I actually studied public relations. I had big plans for big cities and corporate, corporate public relations or something like that. Um, but I graduated, moved to Boston, where I really got immersed in, in the history and culture there while I was uh, working as an AmeriCorps volunteer. Um, and that was around like 2008. Um, you may remember a little economic event happening there uh, where a lot of graduates like myself suddenly found ourselves going, huh. I don't really know what I'm going to do next. Um, so I knew it was going to be grad school. I moved back home and was really just exploring a lot of different options. And that's when I found uh, the public history program at Middle Tennessee State University. Uh, that's where I did my undergraduate degree, but I had no idea that public history was was even a thing, let alone something right there at my very own school. Um, I, I thought I would go into archives. I really love books. I've always loved reading. Um, and so I thought maybe something in book conservation or something where I could, you know, be in a library or in archives. Um, and then I took a material culture class um, my very first semester, and I, I was hooked right there. I was like, things, objects, reading objects and landscapes as primary source documents of the past. Like that just blew my mind. And so that's when I started focusing on preservation, uh, cultural resources management. I had an internship at Chief Plenty Coup State Park um, out in Billings, Montana. And that, um, that really solidified it for me. I knew I wanted to work with the public and I wanted to be able to help 
uh, different groups sort of interpret their histories and, and bring things to light, uh, you know, for themselves. Well, that's a perfect entree for, for Mary Ellen to, to jump in here. Um, were you also hoping to become a, 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 a PR person for a major firm or was it a different path? <laughs> it's funny. Uh, in high school, I actually thought I wanted to go into physical therapy. So not PR, but PT. Uh, until I took my first science class in college and I realized, huh, this is not it. Um, I uh, grew up uh, in Rome, Georgia, which is a town that I always say is halfway between Chattanooga and Atlanta, if you're trying to imagine where it is in Northwest Georgia. And went to, uh, started my undergraduate career at Berry College in, in Rome, Georgia, and then transferred to the University of Tennessee. And it was at UTK that I uh, declared a history major and joined the history honors program. And I think the primary source research is where I really knew that I wanted to go into history as a profession and perhaps as an educator, uh, working on that thesis and working on uh, in, in primary sources and in archives and special, special collections. Um, I then went back to uh, Rome, Georgia after a stint in Atlanta and started teaching high school because I needed to pay the bills and got a master's in education. And uh, then while teaching high school, I uh, started my PhD in history at Georgia State University in Atlanta. And so finished that in 2009 and got a job in Nashville, Tennessee at Harpeth Hall School, which is an independent school for girls grades five through 12. What I didn't realize when I got the job was that my dissertation that was focused on Nashville uh, actually included the predecessor school of Harpeth Hall. Harpeth Hall dates back to uh, a school called Ward Seminary in 1865. And that was one of the major uh, institutions that I was studying for my dissertation, which looked at the history of Nashville from the uh, post-Civil War and Reconstruction period through the 1920s. And so lo and behold, I find myself teaching at Harpeth Hall School. They asked me to start, uh, officially start an archives there. Uh, they had some unofficial, you know, papers and things stored, but I began uh, my, my role in addition to teaching as an archivist. And there I was working not in an archives, but working as the archivist using documents that helped me to write and finish my dissertation. And uh, so that that uh, continued and I began to adjunct at Belmont University uh, in 2012 and uh, kept both of those uh, different um, jobs going for the next several years and then decided to go back to school again. Um, and that was following uh, that dissertation finally getting published. Uh, it became, came out in 2017 and it was called Athens of the New South. And again, looking at the history of Nashville, which I believe we'll get into in just a second. Finishing that manuscript, I decided to go back to school. And this is where I got into the field of public history and digital humanities, more specifically uh, at George Mason University and getting a postgrad certificate there. And so that's really the marriage of the history and the technology. Um, and since then, I still am the archivist at Harpeth Hall School, but now I am an assistant professor of Interdisciplinary Studies and Global Education at Belmont University. Well, there are some diverse interests here, and you guys have both been incredibly busy in just 
um, you know, these past 10 years when you're, when you're throwing out the numbers and all the, um, the work that's been done, um, let alone we haven't even cracked the surface of Nashville sites. And once there's, there's a link in the show notes, and I encourage everyone, obviously, to go there and take a look at it. And if you get the chance to go to Nashville when people travel again, um, then you know this is a great opportunity to really dive deep into Nashville. We're going to talk all about it and how it comes together, but we've been talking about Nashville. Um, and I've been there several times and have loved it every time. But for people who haven't been there or people listening somewhere else in the world who don't really know about what Nashville is all about, um, I know that that's probably hard for somebody who's written dissertations um, on the history associated with this place. But um, Mary Ellen, maybe you could take this. How would you, in a you know, in in a short version, give that history? What is the thumbnail sketch of Nashville and why it's unique and why it matters? Well, so Nashville's founded in 1780, and uh, becomes, and then Tennessee becomes a state in 1796. Uh, it's going to be a western frontier town throughout the 1800s. And then uh, Tennessee is going to join the Confederacy in the Civil War, but is the first state to be uh, occupied by the Union in 1862. So um, not only Tennessee, but Nashville specifically as the state capital. And so uh, there were, Nashville's always been a city of moderation, uh, you know, reveres tradition, but it also embraces progress. And you see that particularly after the Civil War. Um, and that's really where my research has picked up uh, in that it joins this new South vision um, that many Southern cities embrace after the, the uh, Civil War. But what makes Nashville different is most people were uh, think about Nashville in terms of music and oftentimes specifically country music or the Grand Ole Opry. And that's certainly the case, but I argue that that Nashville's most unique uh, identifying descriptor is Athens of the, of the South, because the city embraced institutions of higher education, which was not the norm in the South. So you, you're going to have nine different colleges and universities that open between 1865 and 1909. So you're going to have this influx of colleges and universities, the students that come here, the students in Nashville that stay in Nashville because they have a place to go to school. People began coming to Nashville to go to school. And I, I think that it begins this cycle of, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats because you have a more educated class, then it's going to bring in more jobs. It's going to bring in more industry. It's a better place to live and work and learn. And I think that that has propelled Nashville um, not only through the 1920s and 1930s, but has propelled Nashville so that, and set it up so that it could be this cultural home of music. And also, it's become quite a tech hub and also a healthcare hub as well. And so, Nashville is more than just music, but music is certainly one of, uh, of, of our most, uh, probably uh, tourists come here most for the music, but Nashville is much bigger than that. And the history of Nashville and working on that Athens of the New South book is what then led me to want to create Nashville sites. Uh, I realized that I can write a book that a few hundred people will read, or I can work on a digital public humanities project that can cast a net that can reach 
tens of thousands of people. And so I wanted to extend some of that knowledge, some of those great stories uh, about music, about education, about um, civil rights, uh, all kinds of things. I wanted to extend that conversation and, and to help get it into the public sphere. And so that combined with my uh, training and education that I had there at George Mason University in that postgrad certificate program, that's what really made it come to life. And uh, the impetus for the project was that at George Mason, I had to do a project of history based on place. And so I created a walking tour digitally using Omeka and using Dublin Core and using uh, a mapping program called Neatline. And I created a walking tour uh, based on historical markers. And in doing so, I reached out to the Metro Historical Commission. And that is where Jessica works. And so uh, through that connection, she helped me with images and data to create this walking tours uh, project for my class. And once that was finished, uh, I went to the Metro Historical Commission Foundation, their 501c3 friends group, and said, you know what? A lot of other cities have something like this. Nashville doesn't. If we don't do this, somebody else will. And let's make this a real thing. And that's what started uh, the Nashville Sites Project. And I feel like it comes to, for people who are familiar with Nashville and kind of been following the preservation issues there, it comes at a really important moment because there's explosive growth in Nashville. Um and it's funny, it's like people love places to death and it's like, oh, I love everything that's unique and great about Nashville. So let's all move there and change everything that's unique and great about Nashville um, when it comes to building stock and places and things like that. And, you know, there's there's carrot and stick and then there's also at least telling the story. And so I feel like making sure people understand the story and newcomers and tourists and, and, and um you know, natives alike getting to see that and understanding that. I feel like it comes at a really critical moment too, as things are are changing so so quickly. Um, and you read a lot about just the the change and growth in Nashville. Maybe we can talk a little bit about that. But um, so Jessica, so you know, maybe maybe picking up where Mary Ellen left off there. How does it go from digital humanities pilot project to um, something that? Um, you know, is embraced by the foundation and, and what is the, how, how, how was it implemented and, and brought online? Yeah. So this project also was coming together at a time when uh, the historical commission um, had just received um, a lot of funding from the Metro council to do a whole bunch of new historical markers. Uh, so with the historical commission, that's one of the projects that I work on. That's how, you know, Mary Ellen and I um, got, put together on this project. I'm already working on, you know, those big silver markers that you you see as you drive down the road or you're walking down the sidewalk that says, you know, Andrew Jackson slept here or, or whatever. Um, so we actually, we very, very <laughs> seldom have funding from the city for those markers. They historically have been all privately funded. So we suddenly had all of this money to do a whole bunch of new markers. Uh, we're digging into the history of all different parts of the city and I'm learning all of these things. So it really came at the perfect time for the historical commission as well um, because you know we're sort of finding all of these stories um, that otherwise would not have a historical marker. If there's not a group behind them, saying, hey, we really need to have a historical marker 
for this person that nobody um, can find any information on or knows anything about, you know, that that's just not going to happen. So we had the chance to do that. And, you know, historical markers are great, but they're very, very limited. So we can really, uh, we can go beyond the 480 characters and spaces on a marker and really dig in and spend a lot more time doing research on, um, you know, really in-depth his- history and include images, which are really what make these things come to life. Um, so we, we just started making, making lists of ideas, you know, if what kind of walking tour would you want to have if you went to a city? Well, obviously we have to have music. Uh, lots of music tours, in fact, but architecture as well. Um, art and the Civil War and civil rights. We sort of did, you know, big categories that people think of uh, Nashville for. Um, New South, of course, um, for that, you know, sort of after Civil War Reconstruction period. And we ended up launching, when we launched in November 2019, we had over 20 tours, I think 21 or 22, I can't remember um, specifically right now. That seems like it was so, so long ago, um, even though it wasn't, it wasn't more than, you know, two years ago, but we were still, and we had a lot of plans for wanting to cast a wide net, wanting to tell lots and lots of different stories and really take advantage of all the people in Nashville who know the history so well, scholars, um, you know, from all the different universities, but also just people who've lived here uh, for a really long time and know intimately uh, all of these histories and, and finally get them to, you know, tell us, tell us the stories, help narrate these walking tours, uh, help, you know, help us find sources. Um, so it, w- it really became a, a great community building project. And what are the nuts and bolts of it? And I don't know which who, who wants to take this one, but maybe it's Jessica, which is like how many sites, um, how many tours, how do how do people access it? Is it an app? Is it just online? Um, and and who like owns it now? Um, I know, and, and that may be sort of a joint question, is Mary Ellen is the executive director of Nashville Sites, and I'm curious what all that entails, too. So maybe we'll start with Jessica on the nuts and bolts, and then we'll go over to Mary Ellen and, and see what it means to be the executive director of this thing. All right, so um, the, our first big decision that we had to make was, is this an app or is this a website? Uh, we knew we wanted to make this a you know walking tours and accessible to a lot of people, um, an app, is a lot more expensive than a website and it requires a lot more um, ongoing maintenance and a lot more money to keep it up to date and every time operating systems update you have to spend more money updating your app as well so um, we connected with a local um, a local uh, web developer called foghouse and uh, we decided to build a website that basically functions like an app. Um, it's mobile friendly. You can use it on your phone or your tablet or whatever. It's, and it's going to look like you would expect an app to look. But if you want to be on your computer at home and use it as well, that works you know, just as well. So we uh, spent, what, a year and a half, I guess, working with the developer. Um, at the same time, we were developing all of our tours and 
um, the metadata that go along with all of those sites, uh, finding images, creating our sort of controlled vocabulary um, so we can make it really easy for people to, you know, search on the website and find all of these different stories that we're telling. And uh, I think we now have close to 30 tours. We launched with about 20. We've done about 10 more um, since that um, November 2019 launch. And uh, we, we have branched out a little bit from downtown. We now cover a, a few different neighborhoods. Our East Nashville tour um, launched uh, early April of this year. Uh, we also cover the Wedgwood Houston neighborhood and get out to all of the different universities. Tennessee State University um, is sort of the furthest west um, point that we, that we cover right now, but also you know, Vanderbilt University and Belmont. Fisk University and Meharry Medical College. Um, Treveca is going to be on one of the uh, driving tours that we're working on uh, a little later. So we try to cover a lot of the city and it was, branching out to driving tours will help us do that. But for right now, what all you have to do is go to nationalsites.org and there will be some featured tours on the homepage this month. They are all um, you know, women's history focused tours. We have a woman's suffrage tour. You know, this launched uh, just before the centennial of the um, of the ratification of the 19th Amendment. So that was a big push for us. But we also have sort of a wider uh, women's history highlights tour. And then we feature a few of our other tours uh, that have a lot of women on them. Um, but those, you know, change out every every few weeks. Usually, we'll have different tours on the homepage. You can um, click on the tours button, see all thirty tours that we offer, um, or you can also look at our records. Um, so records sort of live underneath the tours. We write this, you know, nice. Uh, flowing narrative to tell the story of something, you know, the Ryman Auditorium on the architecture tour tells a specific architecture story. On the music tour, it tells a specific music narrative, but underneath that, there's a record um, the, that sort of stems from how Mary Ellen started this project with Omeka, sort of that record that lives underneath everything that gives you just the nuts and bolts here's who built it, here's when it was built, here's a hundred word description about it. Um, so it's something almost like a little encyclopedia entry um, that people can look at and then decide. Usually we'll have all of the tours listed on that page as well. So if you read a hundred words about the Ryman and you still need more, then we'll give you a list of all the different tours that you can that you can listen to or read and sort of focus on different aspects of its history. And and who doesn't always need more about the Ryman? Yes, exactly. I, mean, I could I could do the Ryman all day long. Um so let me so kind of jump it over to Mary Ellen for a second. What does it mean to be the executive director of this and how does it so what Jessica just described is a lot of content, a lot of information, a lot of metadata metadata. Um how do you keep all of that? I mean, I know it's not an app, but it's still got to be kept fresh. And there's, I'm sure that there's maintenance associated with it and expansion of it. So is the foundation still supporting it? How does it, how does it function as, 
I don't want to say a business because it's not a business, but how does it function in terms of maintaining it? Because I think people listening across the country are going to say, great idea. I love this. We might even be able to get startup funds. How do you make it work long term? So how does that work? (laughs) Right. So I would say that a term that someone used recently to talk about me and my work with Nashville Sites is an academic entrepreneur, which I I kind of embrace. Um, because this started as an academic project and it's still at its heart is educational. But if you're going to reach a wider audience, you, you have to uh, write the history and present the history in a different way. And so this came out of, as I mentioned before, a class project. Um, but I also was a member of the MHC foundation board. And so uh, in the foundation support, we went out into the community and were able to get the support of a very diverse set of stakeholders. Uh, Belmont University, uh, first and foremost, uh, offered me a full-time position as a professor of practice, uh, where part of my job was to work on Nashville sites. And so professor of practice, the practice is an external project. And for me, it was Nashville sites. Um, let me just pause there for a second. That seems pretty unique. I'm I'm not sure I've heard about. I mean, that's pretty forward thinking for a university. Does that? Are you familiar with a lot of other situations like that out there? It is perhaps more common than you think. It's not always called professor practice, but um, something similar that is if you think about a visiting professor. It's in the same vein, except for the professor practice is geared towards a specific external project. And, and so for me, it was, it was a two-year term. And like I said, part of my job was to work on Nashville sites. I got to teach a class where the class worked on developing and writing tours on testing. Um, we had lots of other interns from other universities as well that were involved. And so I, I really turned into sort of just a manage into a managerial role and an editorial role um, where I was managing student work, editing content, working with Jessica on navigation, mapping, walking, you know, all of these tours uh, are walked probably anywhere from three to five times um, in different stages of the research. And so, so that's, that was really my role. And that's what it means, I think, to be the executive director. But a piece of that that I mentioned earlier is getting um, a, a diverse set of, of stakeholders, you know, having a core team, attracting a wide audience, having those diverse stakeholders, but yet still having that common purpose. And that common purpose was getting Nashville's history and culture, not just out to tourists, but to residents and to students. We've recently, for example, uh, created lesson plans that go along with uh, 10 of our tours that were written by teachers here in Metro Nashville. We've developed a new landing and navigation system where on all of those historic markers, we have installed QR codes where it's got the logo and a QR code. You scan the QR code for, we mentioned the Ryman Auditorium earlier, outside the Ryman Auditorium, it's going to pull up uh, the Ryman Auditorium. You can learn more about it. It's going to tell you what Nashville Sites is. It's going to say, do you want to take a walking tour? If you say yes, it's going to tell you all the tours that the Ryman is on. And you can select one of those and go from there. So we want to spread the word through 
podcasts and, you know, other, other ways to get the word out, um, presentations and things like that, uh, lesson plans and teachers. But we also want to have the ability to be able to attract people who are just in Nashville who happen to bump in to a historic site. I mean, sometimes uh, organic uh, searches and, and just organically running into something is, is the best way to draw people in because they're already downtown, they're already interested. We also have to mention um, with COVID, we, you could take any of these tours virtually anyway. You just had to turn off the mapping functions. But with COVID, we worked with the developers to de- to create a separate button, separate option where you can select take tour virtually that automatically turns off all the mapping functions between stops. And so anybody in the country, anywhere around the world, you can go to Nashville sites, you can you can uh, select a tour, you click take tour virtually, and you can take it, look at the images, listen to the narration, um, do everything but walk around. And so we've, we've built it to attract as many people as possible and to pull in as, as many different community stakeholders as possible. And that's my job is to just try to keep, you know, the trains running on time. Well, you've done a fantastic job of it. And I, and I think obviously COVID has forced all of us to kind of think anew and act anew. And obviously, I mean, I poked around on the site. It's great. And, um, and I encourage people to click the link in the show notes to, to find that um, and to go and do it yourself. But it's I, it's almost like sort of buried in this conversation where you talked about, I think it was Jessica who talked about, you know, app, no app, well, that kind of thing. It's almost like by going the website route, you have made it a lot more functional, particularly in moments like this, you know, where the app, I feel like people wouldn't be as inclined to use the app if they're not in, sitting in Nashville, walking around and it being triggered by geolocation. Um, it really is functional both in the city and, and beyond. Um, so I, I, I think that that's really an interesting lesson piece um, for people listening. And is there a way when people use the app to make a donation? Or not the app, excuse me, when they use the website. Sorry, I'm, I'm using too many app words. But is there, is, there, is there a way for the general public to support it as well? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the options from the homepage um, you can click on donate. And then at the end of each tour, um, we've started working it into the, the narrative and, and usually have uh, the narrator sort of prompt. Like if, you, if you're interested, if you want to help us continue writing more tours, um, you can um, make a small donation. But there is always a button at the end of each tour um, and it takes you to donor box um, and you can become a recurring member, um, you know, donating donating once a month, um, or just make a one-time donation. Well, this might be a good place to take a quick pause and then come back, talk a little bit about some of the history, what's up next, and uh, where people can find out more about all of this. And we'll do that right here in PreserveCast. We want to thank Civil War Trails, Inc. for sponsoring today's episode of PreserveCast. Civil War Trails is the world's largest open-air museum, offering over 1,350 sites across six states. Paddle to Frederick Douglass's birthplace on Maryland's eastern shore. Follow the Antietam campaign by car or bike and hike the South Mountain Battlefield. Follow Civil War Trails and create some history of your own. Visit civilwartrails.org to plan your trip today. We'd like to thank the Maryland State Bar Association for sponsoring today's episode of PreserveCast. History is a central pillar of the Maryland State Bar Association, and they invite practitioners located anywhere in the country to participate in their annual legal summit from June 9th to 11th. This completely virtual event features speakers such as former U.S. Secretary of State 
Madeline Albright. There are over 80 live and on-demand programs that offer up to 65 CLE credits across eight new learning tracks, including leadership and practice management, technology, ethics, and more. Join the MSBA June 9th to 11th by going to msba.org and selecting 2021 Legal Summit in Annual Meeting under Featured Events. Before we get back to the episode, we're pleased to offer our listeners a 10% off discount on all Oliver Bluff teas, toddies, cacaos, and coffees. Just use the code PRESERVECAST at checkout. That's P-R-E-S-E-R-V-E-C-A-S-T, PRESERVECAST, at checkout over at oliverbluff.com. This is Nick Redding. You're listening to PreserveCast. Um, before we took our break, we've been talking about all things Nashville sites with Dr. Mary Ellen Pethel and Jessica Reeves, um, who were both heavily engaged in this project from various perspectives. And we've been talking about just the success of the program and how it's worked. I'm curious, and I don't know who wants to take this and throw it out to either of you to, to take a stab at it, but, um, you know, dial sort of interpreting diverse and underrepresented history. Um, were there challenges, barriers to that? Were, was everyone pretty much on board in doing that kind of work? Um, curious how, how that came together and um, how that's been received as well. Um, I can take that one as the director of tours, I suppose. Um, so yeah, we've definitely had buy-in. We haven't had any issues um, convincing anyone, um, you know, from internally the team to, you know, external sponsors or anything like that. Everyone is on board with it. Um, it's just a matter of, as with any research project, um, it's a matter of finding the information. And for us, a sort of unique um, challenge that we've had is, is how to interpret that as a tour. Um, you need to have things to look at when you're on a walking tour. So a lot of a lot of our tours will be missing sort of built environment pieces at some point along the tour. You're eventually going to come up against, you know, a brand new building and we're going to say stop here and imagine it's 200 years ago. Um, but when that's the whole tour, that's a little trickier. Um, so that's something that we've definitely um that we've definitely had to work on and, you know, we're still working on. There are still parts of Nashville's history, parts of the story that we um, are looking at ways, ways to uh, tell those stories. Um, and so, yeah, so that's, that's one of the biggest things is we have to be able to find the information, not just the, you know, the documentation, but then photographs or other visual representations that we can show people. Um, and then especially when there's, a lack of a built environment. If there's nothing physically to look at, you you do need some sort of a photograph. Um, I think I think about our early history tour and our um, early Black Life and Culture tour. Um, those two, um, I think, um, are missing a lot of that built environment, and especially the early Black Life and Culture tour. Uh, you know, we're talking about a lot of. Um, enslaved people who had businesses downtown. Um, and there's, you know, we have a, a photograph of for Sally Thomas, a woman who um, purchased the freedom of all three of her sons before she passed away. Um, we have a photograph of a headstone, not 
not the original one, of course, but one that was made for her um, in the and dedicated in the city cemetery very recently. Um, and then we have a photo of a census record. And that's that's about it. That that's all that we can really pull for people um, for her. So we we run into those challenges a lot. Yeah, and that that tends to be a challenge for underrepresented, whether it be African American or 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 whatever um, history. I mean, where in that that we run into that issue with the National Register, right? Where things can't be placed in the National Register if they don't exist, but they don't exist because that history has been removed or, you know, so there's a pervasive challenge there. So it's interesting to hear how you handle that challenge in sort of the digital environment. And there's a little bit more flexibility there um, than there would be with, well, there's no building, so there's no national register, Um, which, you know, is debatable whether or not that's even that that's appropriate. Um, Right. So I'm curious, um, what's the reception been? And I don't just mean, you know, I'm, you know, obviously you're getting accolades and as you should, and that's good, but like, do you have hard numbers? How many people are using this? Are they people from out of town? Are they people from in town? Um, have you gleaned any any analytics from it that would would be interesting to listeners? Well, we do have Google Analytics, and so we we do we are able to track numbers and patterns. Um, COVID was uh, pro- when we were going to be rolling out our big promotional push was when COVID hit. You know, we launched in November, 2019. We all had needed to take, you know, a month or so to recover from, you know, the rush to get to get to the launch. And then in the spring and early summer was when we were really going to promote and push. And um, what we did instead was had that hard shift to promoting and pushing virtual tours. Um, And so, while the reception has been great, we've done a lot of present presentations, and we've uh, we've we've talked to teachers, we've talked to tourists, we've talked to hotels and businesses. Um, we're, we're over a hundred thousand users, so I think that's still admirable. Uh, our bounce rate is is pretty low, um, and uh, so that's a good thing. And we um, we we find that most of our most of our visitors are coming to us through organic searches or through social media, um, most notably Facebook. And we'd love for, in addition to making a, a, you know, a a subscription or a one-time gift donation, we'd love for you guys to subscribe to uh, the social or follow us on social media. We're at Nashville Sites on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We also have a YouTube channel uh, where we have some promotional videos, some behind-the-scenes tours, a little commercial, um, and... So that's we're we're starting to gear back up, and what we're hoping is that this spring and fall, this spring and summer rather, we'll be able to do that promotional, especially with tourists coming to Nashville, um, in this way that we wanted to uh, last year. And and just I wanted to to circle back to one other thing too, when you were talking about how how this the nuts and bolts of of all of this, um, probably what a lot of your listeners are wondering is you know all right, well, this all sounds great, but how long did this take and how much money did this cost? And so that's probably another data question that that would be useful to answer. Um, with all of these students, I, I talked about the managerial role of having everybody keep work logs. And this was paid interns, unpaid interns, students, 
um, community members who were who were donating their time, scholars, people who narrated, uh, our audio engineers who did all the the audio editing and uh, and mastering, um, and and from 2018 to 2020, uh, it's been uh, over 6,000 staff hours of some kind involving everybody who was involved on the project in any capacity. So it's a lot of hours. It's a lot of hours. Um, but in terms of the money, uh, we were able to do the launch uh, with about $130,000 direct funding. Now, the rest of that was given in kind. For example, Belmont University gave us uh, audio studios uh, in-kind contribution. So we've been able to get in the studio and do all of our recording with no uh, at no charge. Um, so there's been a lot of in-kind funding. But what that 130000 really went to uh, was, yes, paying scholars and 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 others to to work on the project but it was mainly for the tech side because to build this website that acts like an app a mobile friendly website um, that's going to have the kind of interaction that you would expect from an app we had to build a custom cms content management system and that's what we worked with foghouse uh, developers which is our our web firm and they built us this custom CMS where we go into the back end then and can build it. And that took a long time because, as you mentioned, it's, you know, it's behemoth. I mean, there's so many different parts. You've got records. You've got images. You've got audio files. You've got narration. You've got map coordinates and, and um, links to, uh, to our mapping uh, system with Mapbox. So those are just some of the nuts and bolts that people are interested in how much time did this take and how much money did this cost. Um, now, once we've launched, those costs and those hours go down. And so... I was going to say, how much is it going to cost to maintain it? Do you have any sense of what's the annual operating cost? We're not quite sure of the annual operating cost because um, we're still building out. I think we'll get to a point where we may just add one or two tours. But in this past year, we we put out another 10. And then we received a Mellon Partnership for Humanities Education through Vanderbilt University, Fisk University, and TSU to develop tours related to North Nashville. And those are going to be driving tours of Jefferson Street and a civil rights driving tour. And so, you know, we're still building out. And so I think, um, you know, for this next year, direct funding will be more, you know, closer around probably $50,000. Um, and all of that has been supplied through grant funding. We've had from private foundations uh, were very supportive. Uh, individuals also supported us. Um, the Metro Historic Commission has been unbelievably supportive. The foundation, of course, which is where the website lives. Um, and then we had a lot of grant-making agencies, Humanities Tennessee, and others that um, that help make this possible. So, as long as we're able to keep generating tours that where we can receive grant funds, we'll you know there's there's always an idea for a tour. I don't know if we'll ever run out. Yeah, well, and there's always more history being made, right? So there's there's always something new, and you don't. And the, again, back to the National Register, you don't have to stop at 50 years, right? If something happened in 1980, you can cover that um, because you're not bound by. Um, the Secretary of the Interior or, or anyone else uh, like them, or, or like her for that matter, as, as we now have a, a, a female secretary. Well, if I could jump in real quick, uh, we've just launched an East Nashville tour, and we were already finished with the tour, essentially. 
when the tornado happened on March 3rd, 2020. And so we wrote that into the tour uh, right before we narrated and recorded it. Um, But the other beautiful part about the way Nashville Sites works is that we can go back in and we can edit anytime. Um, The Civil Rights Sit-Ins Tour is an excellent tour. I highly recommend it. Um, But it centers on Fifth Avenue North uh, in downtown. And that was renamed just a few months ago, John Lewis Way after his passing. And so we are in the process of um, revising the tour so that every time we reference Fifth Avenue, we're now referencing John Lewis Way. And we're uh, the Metro Historical Commission's putting in a new marker that we're going to add as a stop. And we're bringing the narrator back in in the next couple of weeks to um, re-narrate those specific parts. And we can just go into the back end and tweak those particular places and boom, you're good to go. Yeah, and very different than when you described your your, your book that 300 people might read. Uh, and I'm you're probably selling yourself short. I'm sure more people read your book, but uh, <laughs> so this is not a not a visual podcast. But she's shaking her head no. Um, but uh, but the, you know you can't change that, or you have to you know you, it, it's un, until they republish it again, right? And uh, but with this, it's just it's instantaneous, which is you know another selling point. So. Um, you know, I, I think we've kind of answered the question of what's next: more tours, more grant funding, um, more momentum, um, get people to use it. Once people travel again, you guys were sort of hindered, just like the rest of the world, by COVID. Um, but if people want to find out more about each of you or your respective work or Nashville sites, um, I want to give each of you an opportunity to give yourselves uh, the necessary plugs. So maybe we'll start with Jessica and then go to Mary Ellen. Um, yeah. So we're. You know, we have we have the website, nationalsites.org. You can email me um, through my, my Nashville Sites email address, Reeves, my last name, R-E-E-V as in Victor, E-S, at nationalsites.org. Um, or you can find out more about um, the Metro Historical Commission Foundation, nashvillemhcf.org. Um, and that will also link you to um, the nashville.gov the governmental agency website, um, you know, for the historical commission where I work. Um, and that's where you can read all about, you know, all of the 230 some odd historical markers that we have or some of our other educational programming. Perfect. And I, I just want to add uh, one other person's name that, that I've been inferring in my mind, but I, I realize I should say out loud, but the executive director of the Metro Historical Commission Tim Walker um, has been a pivotal uh, piece in this puzzle, and um, he has really helped to shepherd this project from its infancy. And I think he recognized very early on that historical markers are great, but that in the 21st century, you needed to find a way to, to pull those over into the digital realm. And so a lot of this was his, my vision with his venture and, and his willingness to take a chance on this and to help push this project forward. Um, I, you can find me uh, on, on Twitter at Dr. Pethel, um, or you can uh, shoot me an email, pethel at uh, nashvillesites.org. Um, or you can also contact us from the Nashville Sites uh, webpage if you go to the menu button, and that's where you can find lesson plans and frequently asked questions and things like that But the, as to support us. Uh, but there's also a, an About Us, and it has uh, all of us listed there, and we have a general 
email account that's info at nashvillesites.org. So I, I, we just ask, you know, take tours, take them virtually, come to Nashville, take them in person, take them virtually, then come to Nashville, take them in person. Um, subscribe, give us a dollar a month or make a donation, follow us on social media, uh, help us get the, the word out. Yeah, well, it's a it, it's it's not an onerous task because it's a beautifully designed site. It's fun to look at. Um, you you have to be a, a a terrible person not to love Nashville. There's just something great about Nashville. It's something perfect there for everyone. So, um, yeah, and when you can get out of the house, go visit Nashville. It's a it's a great place, and and now you'll know exactly what you're seeing because you'll have Nashville sites in your pocket. Um, before we go, this is the most challenging question that we ask anyone: your favorite historic place or site. So we'll put Jessica on the hot seat first. All right. I'm going to cheat a little bit um, and pick an intersection, actually, that has uh, multiple sites associated with it. Um, so Mary Ellen mentioned uh, the renaming of uh, Fifth Avenue to John Lewis Way. We also had Charlotte Avenue, uh, which is sort of a main thoroughfare uh, in the city that was renamed to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. Um, so we had to re-record a lot of instances of that name in there. Uh, but at Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard and 4th Avenue North, um, it's about halfway between the public square and the courthouse and the state capitol. Um, there are three sites right there um, that I, I think just sort of form a microcosm of, uh, of history and what really drew me to wanting to um, to really do this project. You have the, uh, the site of the Nashville slave market, which now has a historical marker there. Um, on one corner, you have uh, the site of uh, the Freedmen's Bank, and then uh, across the street from there, the only still standing building from the time when that entire area was the, uh, the, you know, the Nashville Black Business District, you have the Morris Memorial Building. Um, so you've got music, you've got publishing, you've got banking, uh, and you've got lots of hidden history all in that one little intersection. And I think people just walk through there every single day. Uh, there's a huge bus station, people drive right past it and have absolutely no idea of the historical significance of that one little intersection. Um, so that's my favorite place. Every time I'm walking around downtown, I always like to, to go through there, look at all the markers that we've put up and just think about all the people who now can learn about the history of, of those sites because there's nothing there for, you know, three, two of the three sites that, that are so important. There, there's no physical remnants. So that's well, my favorite. That's a, I love that answer because I don't think we've done 170 plus episodes. I don't think we've ever gotten an intersection. So that's cool. We've, we've gotten, I think we, we had a restroom at one point. Someone loved a historic restroom. So that was, that was one of the stranger ones so far, <laughs> but I love, I love intersections. So that's, that's a cool one. And Thanks. Um, so Mary Ellen. Well, it's, fun, it's funny you mentioned restroom because the Hermitage Hotel, which is on many, many tours, um, actually has a famous men's art deco restroom that the public can go in, but it's also still a functional restroom. It's beautiful and strange. But, uh, so you could you could list that. Um, I'm going to do a little quick one-two punch. Um, the first one is like is like Australia. It's a it's a it's a tour and a stop all in one. Um, Fort Negley, which is a tour that focuses on a Civil War fort um, that 
today is a, is a metro park and it has a walking trail around it. Um, there are so many uh, unbelievable stories connected to Fort Negley um, that, that date back, obviously, to the Civil War, but it was a, a fort that was built by the United States Colored Troops, um, and so a lot of African-American history and neighborhoods surrounding it. Um, and so as you take the tour, you not only learn about the Civil War, but you learn about the fort in the 1920s where it became a site for the Ku Klux Klan. You learn about its restoration through WPA projects in the New Deal era. Um, you learn about uh, the changing neighborhood around it. And in the process where Fort Negley is, um, you are able to get the best unobstructed view of Nashville, of the Nashville downtown skyline, because it is a protected park area. Um, and it most recently has been named a World UNESCO uh, memory site and uh, has been saved from development it just in recent years. And so we tell so many different stories connected to that. So it's both a tour stop and a tour all together. Uh, so that's number one. But number two, as far as just a single site, it is another piece of hidden history. It's called the Arcade, and it is a it is an open um, a glass ceiling open uh, air mall that was built. Jessica, I, I might be getting this wrong, but I want to say 1904. And it's tucked in between. You're walking down one block, and you take a turn in, and you and it's just it's tucked in. If you don't know where it is, you'll miss it. But when you turn in, you feel like you've just walked into another era of this beautiful open air mall uh, with glass ceilings still full of businesses, including a, a peanut shop that's been in operation for 75 years and a post office that's been there for about a hundred years and lots of restaurants. So it's, it's a great historic site. And it's also a hidden gem. Well, these are all three great places to visit with Nashville sites. Um, cause I'm sure they're all well-documented, um, and are great places to visit with this. It's been so much fun, really interesting. And I think not only a great story to tell about what's happening in Nashville, but, um, something for other, uh, places around the country to take a look at and think about how they interpret their history, how they tell their story. Um, and, uh, just thrilled to have you on and looking forward to getting out to Nashville and using it myself. So thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to PreserveCast. To dig deeper into this episode's story, head over to PreserveCast.org for show notes and our collection of previous episodes. Don't forget to engage with this podcast by subscribing, commenting, and leaving a review. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at PreserveCast for even more. PreserveCast is currently recorded in Walkersville, Maryland, and sponsored by the 1772 Foundation, and powered by Preservation Maryland. Thanks for listening and keep on preserving.